And so these experiences that we've had in endurance training and racing is, is a gift. And that's how I see it. And whatever price that is, is the price that it is. For the experience that I have, I'll pay, I'll pay it over again. Because what I walk away with is absolutely an up-level opportunity. I've up-leveled so much. And yeah, I take it to extremes. I, I started to do three Ironmans in one year. Right, I think there were back-to-back years I did three Ironmans and I'm just signing up for them. And I actually went to one by myself um, without you and without Clark. And those are the experiences that have shaped who I am and who, who I, um, yeah, who I am and how I, how I share that with our athletes in our community. Like that's a high vibration. And there's no way, no way I'd be able to, to be at that level and be able to speak to the community this way if I didn't have these experiences where I never thought I would make it out on the other side. So the doubt and fear are there and I move on and tackle it despite those fears and doubts. Welcome back to the Yogi Tree. BJ's lip syncing my voice. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm your host. And I'm here clearly with Beej. And we're here to answer your questions. We got some great questions for our August Ask the YTs. We took a month off because we were smacking down my experience at the Tahoe Rim 100 last month. And so we have some questions that were submitted actually in June and some ones that you guys sent to us this week. So we are going to dive in in a moment. But the first thing we want to talk about is our training camp that's coming up in February, February 6th to the 10th, 2020. Beach head coach, what do you have to say about this thing? Well, this is what, three, three years in the making, really? Well, yeah, three years, three years in the making. We we're hoping to do this in Lake Placid when we started our Ride the High Vibe Tour um, back in 2016. Things didn't work out. And we've always had this passion to bring what we do together into one experience, four or five-day experience that people can immerse themselves into everything about Yogi Triathlete. And I'm kind of glad it, it waited this long to, to occur because we needed that time to... to Get our asses kicked and get way more wise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The wiseness level We have so is much more wisdom than we did in 2016. So, so, yeah, I'm super excited for camp. I think this is the right time. I think February is the perfect time to have it, too, out here in Southern California with a lot of our fan base, I would say, in maybe cooler climates around February. And what a great time or a great way to get out to some sunshine, some outdoor pools, some trails some good biking, some beach time, oceanfront. Uh, all of that's going to be accessible at the camp. We are literally you know, two blocks from the, from the water. And the accommodations that we have for everybody who's coming to the camp, they're all going to stay within two properties, and depending on how many people we have. And it's located super close to the village like and close to the beach and close to everything that you're going to need. And yeah, it's... It's a long time coming. I'm super excited, as I know you are. But um, yeah, to see this all come to fruition, to have our own training camp where we're bringing together so much high vibrational insight into sports and performance for endurance athletes and building that strong, concrete, solid mindset. Uh, uh, You've got to come to this place. You've got to come to this camp. If you can make it happen... No, not if you can make it happen. Make it happen. Excuses be gone. (laughs) Excuses are just things that are holding us back. Holding us back from our truest self to become one again. That's not getting too deep. (laughs) No, no. Oneness isn't deep at all. No, not at all. Yeah, we're pretty psyched. Um, You know, for those of you that don't know, this was my previous career. I was an event planner. And I was really, really good at it. And I love how my life now just continues to prove that nothing is a waste because I'm taking all those skills and putting this camp together. We've got some special guests that are on the docket that we haven't revealed yet that will be a part of it. And 
when our guests arrive, they're going to arrive to fully stocked kitchens in these luxury condominiums that are 3,000 square feet each. So it's really funny. Some people have inquired about the sleeping arrangements, you know, and, and staying communally like this. And they're like, well, you know, I'm having some reservations because I don't know people. Is there going to be enough room? And my first question is, how big is your house? And they're like, well, it's about 1,800 square feet. I'm like, okay, well, these are 3,000 square feet per condo. They're like, oh, okay, I guess that's plenty of room. So this isn't college, you guys. Uh, if anybody respects space and privacy and alone time, it's me. I live for that kind of stuff. So the camp is actually going to probably be a lot smaller than what these condominiums can can accommodate because we're not going to be pushing people to sleep in the same bed together. This is not college. This is a very grown-up experience. It's extremely high vibrational, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the most epic camp ever known to man. I've looked at other camps, and there's so many amazing camps out there, and I can tell you that nobody is offering what we're offering. There's, there's not one that I can find. So it's I feel like it's a combination between a retreat and a training camp. So it's got all the niceties. It's the all-inclusiveness of like a retreat, but it's going to kick your ass mentally and physically, and I cannot wait to be a part of that. So we're about 50% full at this point, and if you're interested, please check it out, yogitriathlete.com. You're going to find it right on the homepage that first photo there. And if you have questions, if you want us to help you get to the other side of hesitation, then let's have a conversation. Let's hop on a call. Let's make this happen, you guys. This is going to be epic up level. So yeah. So if you're listening to what Jess just laid down and it and you feel compelled, there's something inside of you that's like, oh, that would be cool. Like you're driving in your car right now. And you're like, oh, that would be cool to do that. I just can't do it. I just can't find a way to get out there. I, I can't take the time off. Like all these are just excuses that are keeping you from being your truest self, the self that's just bursting and waiting to come out. So like talk to us, email us, uh, text us, whatever, get a hold of us and we can talk through it and and figure out how to get you out here for the training camp. Because we just, we believe firmly this is, this is an up-level experience. It's really big opportunity to, to face those things, those thoughts maybe that are holding you back. Yeah. And when we say excuses, it's not a personal attack. Like we understand how scary it can be to live on the other side of our excuses. Like we've done it. Um, and we continue to catch ourselves daily, um, watching our wording, watching our languaging. Um, so, you know, we're here to support you and we're, we know that the, everything is, you know, alignment and it's going to be the perfect alignment. And from the people who are already signed up, like it's already pretty high level, pretty psyched. Okay. Should we move, jump into questions? Let's do it. Okay. Clark has finally settled down. Oh, mother of God. Thank you, Clark. It's like he's been sitting around all day long and the mics fire up and he wants attention. I get it, dude. I live that too. Our first question comes from one of our athletes, Kai, and he sent this in a while ago. So thanks for your patience, Kai. What do you do when you either miss a workout or attempt a quote-unquote key workout and it just isn't your day? No injuries, just one of those days where all cylinders are not firing properly, the stars are out of alignment, and the workout is a disaster. Should I hit reset and try again the following day or just stick with whatever workout is planned for the following day? So that's his first question. What do you think, Coach? Move on. Yeah, just move on. It's in the past. The workout's gone whatever the experience you had, had some value in it. There's, there's some sort of value, value you can take away from it. Maybe it didn't go as, as expected or as it was laid out in the plan. So do what you can. You, it didn't go well, move on, do the next workout. That's not to say that this session may not come back again. And it could be in two days or three days. It just depends on how things progress with your training. But And I've seen you even put the same workout on the next day. And it depends on what the purpose of the workout is, and it depends on the athlete. Like, I've seen you say, well, well, they didn't do it. They're getting it tomorrow. Oh, they didn't do it. They're getting it tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it depends (laughs) on what they actually did. If they attempted it and 
and what was that attempt like? Yeah, I'll totally put that workout again. It just, it all depends on the athlete and it depends on the athlete's goals and it depends on the circumstances surrounding that particular experience. Yeah, but I think uh, a rule that we learned early on in our career was, especially training for longer distance stuff, um, marathon, Ironman, things like that, it's just move forward. And I think that it's a great practice in detachment and letting go. So there's always a purpose to everything. It's not just like move on and that doesn't serve a purpose. That serves a major purpose because... I've experienced it thousands of times where the ego wants to come in and beat you up for not doing it. And that's an opportunity to say, nope, I'm not buying into that story. Tomorrow is a new day. In fact, this moment that I'm in right now is a brand new moment to begin again. And it's all about getting to the other side of that negative self-talk. I think forward motion and momentum is incredibly important. And sometimes that means letting go of a workout. And there's a reason why it's a disaster, right? And I think that those workouts, gosh, there's so much to pull from. When it's easy and you feel great and you love the way you look in your outfit and you're nailing paces, like there's growth there, but it's not as monumental as growth when you need to walk away from something. When you fail something and maybe not fail when you learn something, it's an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And then he has a second part, a more ethereal question is every workout, a key workout isn't an easy recovery run just as important as a hard interval session. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every session is key. And when you look at it like that, and especially with the way that we train our athletes, they get one or maybe two days at a time to see what their workouts are. That helps you focus on that particular workout as the most important one because that's the only one you know. The only workout my, our athletes are going to have is tomorrow's workout, so Sunday's workout. That's all they're going to know. They're not going to know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. This is the most important workout, and then the next day becomes an important workout. So when athletes decide oh, I feel great today. I'm not going to do that 30-minute easy run. I'm actually going to go hard because I feel really good. That's deviating from, from the whole, the 10,000-foot view of, of where we're taking you as an athlete and, and where we're bringing you with your goals and expectations. So it's important to listen to that like, and note, notice your thought about going hard on an easy day. Notice it. And yes, There are going to be those times you can't self-regulate and you're going to go hard. Well, guess what? I noticed that. And the next day, it becomes an even easier session because you need to recover from the previous day's stress on the body in order to adapt and absorb the fitness. Yeah, I think you covered that. And I, and I love it because it accentuates the importance of a moment. Every moment is so important. It's the moment that you're listening to this podcast right now is not any less important or more important than the day you were born, the day you got your big promotion, the day you got fired, the day you got married, the day you got sober. We put so much meaning on things, but in the eyes of the universe, every moment is exactly the same. Everything is neutral until we allow the mind to label it. So every workout is just as important as the next. 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 And I'm not sure who is behind this handle, and I would love to know. It's uh, from Instagram. There's just no name on it. It's P00367, which sounds pretty 007 to me. I like it, but I'd love to know who's behind it. Okay, question. Do you ever do a training run that is the same distance as the race you're training for? Or do you just run your farthest in the actual competition? And so then the the last question is, how far did you run in training to prepare for a 50-miler? So I guess it depends on the distance. And I know, I guess we're leading into her second question. but Her or him. Her or him uh, or they. Uh, The first part of it is... Yes, you may if you're running a 5K or 10K or even a half marathon or sprint triathlon. You may do all the distances completely in a training session. That That is true. As you build in distance, as you build in the length of the event, that becomes less and less because the toll that it takes on your body to dump a load of, 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 of time on your legs at 
one, any one particular time takes longer to recover. So what comes in in these instances is interval training and getting the adaptation from the stresses on the body during, during short uh, periods of time that stress the body and then you have short rest and then you stress the body and short rest. So something like an Ironman, you'll never ever, at least in this coach's opinion, go 2.4 miles, 112 mile bike, and then uh, a marathon. You, you, you most likely will not do that. Uh, I think the closest you'll come is if you race a half Ironman. That would probably be the closest you come into wrapping all those together. Uh, but yeah, you're going to have a long day, maybe a six, seven hour day. If you can combine a, a short swim, uh, a long bike, and then a short brick run off of, off of the bike. So yeah, you, you'll come close to maybe the time that you'll be out there, but you won't, you won't do the, the actual activities to that length. Now, if we're talking about just specific running, someone who runs a 50K, 50K training is very similar to marathon training. And there's many, many uh, belief systems out there on what is ideal for that longest run. Uh, I know Lucho talks a lot about getting um, consecutive 20-mile sessions in every week, but that's for the advanced athlete, and he states that too. Um, But if you can get, for a marathon, if you can get up to 18, 20 miles, I think you're pretty good. For a 50K, same thing, 18, 20 miles. But um, we, we always work in time, too. Let me backtrack. We, we like to work in time. So five, four or five-hour run would be, would be awesome, which includes hiking and walking. Um, but for a 50-miler, I think you can, you can share some light into this because you did a 50-miler for Lake Sonoma. And, um, and what was your perspective on, on what you did? Because you've always challenged the norm, the, the, the status quo, I guess, if you were to go look up on the internet what, what you should do, Jess has always been one to challenge it because her ability to, to train consistently and to take care of the body in recovery has afforded her to not have to log hour after hour after hour. She's got the mindset and the ability to self-regulate and pull herself away from that noise and distraction and focus on who she is in the moment. Would you agree? <clears throat> yeah, hundred. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I've I mean, my my fastest marathon to date was at an Ironman, and that longest run was two and a half hours, which, you know, was maybe at that point in my life was maybe on that course was probably 12 to 13 miles because it was a math pace uh, long run. And what did you end up running that day, just for comparison? Like a four... I don't know, maybe a 4.30. So almost double. Almost, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost double what your longest run was in training. Yeah, and that was, and it was an insane day. So if you were to look at the conditions of that day, it would never have, it would have never uh, on paper added up to a marathon PR. But because my mindset was in the moment and I wasn't getting caught up in the hailstorm that I was in, that I was able to stay flexible and, and know that anything was possible. And I just remember that run. It was at Ironman Lake Placid. And I just remember so many people yelling at me how strong I looked. And I kept yelling back like, I know, <laughs> I know, I'm so incredibly strong. So yes, I have defied the template training plan time and time again. Now, leading up to the 50-miler that I did in April, my build was really strong. I was doing really well. I didn't have to take any time off. I was doing very, very well, and my longest run was basically a 50K. I think I did almost 32 miles for my longest run, which was a seven-hour training run with a good amount of elevation as well. So that's what that 50-miler looked like. And I don't know what future 50 milers will look like, but I don't think that I would need to run anything longer than that training for a 50 mile. And if I ran 20 miles, then that would be fine too. And I, and I think a great example was training for the North Face 50K, which was last November, but it was canceled because of the fires. And I ended up doing a 40 miler. 
And leading up to what I thought was going to be a 50K, I think my longest run was like 17 miles because I did need to back off. I needed to listen to my body. But in my head, I was thinking, oh, well, I'm doing a 50K. I know I can do this. Then all of a sudden, now I'm doing a 40 miler. And and with trail racing, nothing is ever 40 miles. Nothing is ever a 50K. Nothing is ever 100 miles. It's always, it's always more. It's, it's never exact. So I was going into the unknown on a 17-mile long run, you know, like, oh, my gosh. And I just trusted. I was like, if I'm rested, I've got, you know, 14 years of endurance training under my belt. I'm going to be fine. So it's about trust and listening to the body and knowing that you can defy that template training plan with belief, with just belief. It's way better to show up to that starting line healthy and a little undertrained than it is to have pushed through and be showing up with worries about things that are happening in your body. So to answer the question, leading into Lake Sonoma, my longest run was just over a 50K. And that was only because I felt good enough to do that. And that was, yeah, that was in that particular instance too. Yeah. So when you train for... I'm a different athlete today and I'm going to be a different athlete tomorrow. Right. Because so maybe, maybe you'll be able to at one point build up to, you know, a 30 mile run at one point. If that's the case. Great. But, but, the, but the point is, like, keep tapping into who you are now. Don't be chasing mileage numbers. Yeah, chasing mileage numbers is, is a tough way to go because it sets expectation on what you should be doing. And if you don't meet those expectations, then that's going to cause a mental drain. That's going to be a lot harder to, to overcome than it would be just to back off and listen to your body. And so as I start to poke around in the 100-mile distance... I've heard many people say that like they won't run more than 30, 35 miles leading into a hundred miler, but it's the build around that. So if the 30, 35 mile run is on a Saturday, then what are you doing on Friday? Are you doing 15? Are you doing 20? And what can you do on Sunday? Can you do another 10? You know, and it's all about that consistency of building over, uh, you know, a two to three day period. And that would prep you up pretty good. But again, it depends. It depends on the body. And, you know, 100 miles is a huge beast. And we'll just see where I am um, if that time comes or when that time comes. It's when. It totally is when. I know. It's totally when. Okay. Next question from Nicole. How much nutrition change happens from a 50K to a 50 miler? Is there more of a chance of a gut bomb from goo-type packets? Now, she has type in quotes, meaning I think she's talking about gels and things like that. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't matter if it's gels or food or pretzels or peanut butter sandwiches or potato wraps. I think whatever you put in your body has potential to disrupt your GI system. But I, let's go back to what we always profess in this podcast is what is your daily diet look like? What is your daily intake of fuel? Are you eating McDonald's? Are you eating pancakes? Are you eating, you know, vegan cinnamon rolls every day? <laughs> so tempting. What is your daily diet look like? Like that's important. What is your gut biome? Like what are you putting into your system? Are you putting in lots of veggies and greens and fiber? Um, an insoluble fiber like asparagus and celery. What are you What are you putting in there to to make sure that your your house inside of your house, the inside, is healthy and strong? And so when you get to race day, you're able to better navigate any of those stresses that come into the body. Now, yeah, goose. If you start eating lots of sugar and sugar and sugar, and you're continually putting that in with nothing else, no water no uh, electrolyte mix, no solid fuels for long endurance runs, yeah, you, you probably will feel something. The same goes if you eat, you know, Cliff Bar every half hour, like 200, 400 calories an hour, yeah. And also, what did you do during training? What, and here's the even more important point, like what did you do during training? But what did you do in training when you were at the intensities that you're gonna be at during race day? So someone can go out and hike for five hours and have all the solid foods that they want and be okay. But when you get to race day and you increase the pace because you want to beat those cutoffs, 
your stomach is going to be taxed even more. There's going to be a, a jostling effect and the blood's going to go more to your legs and not to your stomach. So prepare in training how you will on race day. And that doesn't mean every session you're taking in this fuel, but there's some key sessions you can do leading into the race where you, let's say you're running long on Saturday, Friday night, what's the meal you're going to have before race day? What, what's the timing you're going to have? You wake up the next day. So Saturday morning, what do you have for breakfast? How early is that before you head out for your run? What are the intensities in the run and what are the fuels that you're taking during the intensities? And you can come up with excuses like, well, I'm going out for five hours. I don't know. I'm not going to be able to get water or I don't know where I'm going to be able to pick up more fuel. Do do loops, like set yourself up for success. Go out and plant water bottles. I just had an uh, athlete. um, I just talked about this with them, like circle around back to the car, make it happen. Make it happen. If it's that important to you on race day, and it should be because nutrition is one of the three things now I'm going to say are so important to your success, the other two being pacing and mindset. Uh, nutrition is super important. So yeah, you, you have the potential for gut bombs, but really guys, listen to what you're eating in your daily diet. Like really take a look, an honest look at what you're fueling your body with um, day to day. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think circling back in the car to the car adds in a mental piece too of like, oh, there's the car, there's the air conditioning, there are my flip-flops, there's my after run outfit. And so it kind of gives you a little bit more um, up level on the mental training. But not much is going to change from a 50K to a 50 miler other than the fact that you're just going to be taking in, you're just going to be out there longer. You're going to be taking in nutrition over a longer period of time. And, uh, because of that, you know, yeah, of course there's more opportunity for the ebbs and the flows and you're going to have the ebb and flow. You're going to have all the feels out there. So it's, you know, being really, um, good about your daily diet because what kind of gut are you bringing into race day? And we talked about this with Magda Boulay in our interview with her you know, she is a big believer in this as well. It's, you know, your daily diet is so incredibly important. And fiber is a huge piece of that. You know, fiber is actually a nutrient of concern, according to the USDA, the daily guidelines. Uh, no, not the daily guidelines, but the, um, the dietary committee. That fiber is actually a nutrient of concern. It's not protein, contrary to what some people may think, it's fiber. And fiber has so much to do with the health of your gut and your ability to absorb nutrients and your ability to regulate the spike of blood sugar and all of that. So watch the daily diet. I would bring some presents to that and take a look at, you know, are you getting all those greens and all that amazing fiber and those phytonutrients that come from plants and only plants And then practice your nutrition. So for 50 miles, you want to be getting in 250 to 300 calories an hour, and you got to make sure that your body can handle that. Now, what happens on race day? Who knows? It could be a breeze. You could feel amazing. You could have moments where you don't feel good. But you want to set yourself up for success, like BJ said. So continue to train yourself and up those calories because you're going to be out there longer and you need the fuel to be out there longer. You want to finish strong. No walking across the finish line in this this community. You want to fire across that finish line. You want to risk that finishing arch coming down behind your blast. Okay. Kyla. Question, not sure if you talked about this, but I want to know how about how running and training affects your relationship, positives and negatives. Correction, opportunities. <laughs> I'm assuming she's subbing out negatives for opportunities. I like how Kyla's talking. And she's literally laughing out loud because <laughs> she knows that that's our language. I've been reflecting on this because... BJ and I have been together since 1997. Okay, so what, 22 years, more than 22 years since that night that we drank too many mudslides. <laughs> if you know that story, then you know that story. If you don't know that story, that's all you need to know right now. 
So it's been 22 years that we've been together. And so that was 1997. And it was less than 10 years that endurance sports came into our life. Now, you and I were always healthy and fit and going to the gym, but we were like... Hiking, camping, we were doing a lot of that stuff. We were actually doing pretty hardcore endurance stuff up in the White Mountains, 13-hour hikes and things like that. Yeah, which was recently going around on on a text. Yeah, the death hike, which is a whole podcast, (laughs) an episode in and of itself. That was crazy. So yes, um, we actually have been doing endurance stuff for a very long time. However, triathlon and triathlon was the first thing way before running came in. I mean, triathlon, obviously you're running, but triathlon was the first. And you did your first triathlon in 2004. I did my first triathlon in 2005. And so I'm going to speak my perspective because I've really been reflecting on this. And I think that opportunities is a really, really great word to use because there has been no negatives. And I'll speak quite honestly, you know, I think at the beginning, um, so I started the sport in my early 30s, and in the beginning, it was like, I guess there was a part of me that thought maybe it was a phase, and BJ had big goals, and he was doing Ironmans, and back then, Ironmans were only $500, can you imagine? And you were doing Ironmans, and there was a part of me that was like, okay, well, this is going to pass because this is way too expensive, right? So I had fear, financial lack. This is way too expensive, and we're in our 30s, and we need to be saving, and we need to have our retirement. And I was living in all that lack, right? And so a part of me you know, also wanted to like go downtown in Boulder and have happy hour with you and you'd be training. And that was frustrating for me. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy that. Like I was doing my training, but I wasn't, I I had a story like I wasn't taking it as seriously as you were. And I don't even think I've ever talked to you about this because it's, it's, it's so in the past, but it was kind of a big thing that I really thought it was going to be a temporary thing and that, you know, you weren't ever going to go to Kona and that we weren't going to have to keep putting all this stuff on our credit card and going into debt because like, well, it wasn't worth it. We needed to be making money so we could pay down our debt so that we could buy more properties so that we could have savings so that we could retire and we could do all that, you know, stuff that they say you're supposed to do. But the thing was, is that the triathlon never stopped. And then I started getting into longer distance stuff and 70.3s and getting into Ironmans. And and then I started to get on board with it. And, you know, for us to do a race was not $500. It was, you know, $1,000. And then every year it went up. Then it was $1,200. And then it was $1,400 because everything was double. But I was on board now. And so things started to shift for me. And I started to realize that, whew, I'm believing in myself a little bit more. I'm doing some shit that I never thought possible. And hey, I'm actually looking pretty good now. And I'm looking better than I did 10 years ago. And I'm getting more fit. And oh, by the way, so is my husband. He's looking pretty damn good too. So there's so many positives that has that have come out of this. And, and actually, all of them, I think, are positives because I realized that at some point, and I don't remember, I think it was a gradual shift that, you know, BJ is most happy when he's training. And he is so happy when he's out doing, you know, five hour workouts and six hour workouts. And, and that any kind of fear of finances was just such a incredibly selfish, immature thing to project onto him in lieu of his happiness. And so eventually at some point I got on board and it wasn't that long because it wasn't that long before I started doing this stuff. And that doesn't mean that when we were dropping $1,200, $1,400, you know, with both of us doing it, that there wasn't still some fear. You know, I've been working on that financial fear for a very long time. And I'm happy to say that I am on the other side of it. And life is so much better on the other side of it. And money is just an energy and how much you have is a reflection of the energy within you and your mindset of lack versus abundance. So I believe that 
endurance sports has really driven me to get to the other side of lack in my life, lack of believing in myself, lack of loving myself, lack of um, being fearful of finances. And it's really brought us together to be able to support you and for you to support me and how many hours we have stood on the sidelines for one another and the connections that we've made. And it just got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And it was very clear within the first couple of years that this was our life and it wasn't going to change and that there was so much beauty that I was clouding out because of the fear or the selfishness of what I thought life was supposed to look like, like as a married couple. I think we have defied so many odds and become so strong because we're endurance athletes, because we know on a cellular level that anything is possible. And I say it all the time, like we're millionaires. I say it all the time. We're billionaires now. We yeah, just said know, that. Yeah, I know. I just said today, I was like, you know what? I'm over being a millionaire. I'm going to be a billionaire. And I'm not a billionaire because... I want all this money to hoard. I'm a billionaire because I had a vision in my meditation not too long ago when I just really did a lot of work on opening my heart and asking what it is that I wanted to do. And I saw myself planting trees. And I'm like, I just want to plant trees. I want to build tiny houses for farm sanctuaries so people can go and they can visit the animals. I want to write somebody a $10,000 check who has a struggling business, who is making a difference in the world. I want billions of dollars so that I can, I can serve on a level that I haven't been able to serve on. And I believe so much of this has to do with endurance sports and what I've learned from turning myself from a crappy runner that always got injured to somebody who's talking about and knowing on a deep level that I'm going to run a hundred miles with great success. So it still continues to show me opportunities that I have. And I'll just share a recent example. And then I'm going to turn this over to you, BJ, that we were at the Chula Vista challenge just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, you wanted to go there and you wanted to win, like win your age group and possibly win the race. And I was all on board for that. And the race was over and I had work to do at home or whatever. And you wanted to stay for the awards and I didn't really want to stay for the awards. I was hungry. I was hot. And I wanted to go home. And I had these kind of human ego needs that weren't being met. And then I figured, well, don't be a whiny little, you know, crap face. Like, go get yourself a smoothie. And I did. And that felt really good. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And we waited probably two and a half hours. And the awards were delayed and delayed. And I was fine at that point. And then you were like, well, we'll just leave. And I'm like, we just, so here was the storyline. We just waited two and a half hours and you're just going to leave. You're not even going to ask them when the awards are going to happen. Like, we're just going to leave. I would never do it that way. And so I'm watching this dialogue in my head and I'm not saying anything because I'm not going to engage and project this dialogue onto BJ. And I just kept looking at it and I was like, okay, what's the story here? What, what's, the, what's the story that I'm not seeing? And the story that I wasn't seeing was that I was there to serve you that day. I wasn't there to serve me. And I was there to be patient and to be present and to not question how you were doing things. And, by the way, not overshadow the fact that you crushed that race that I saw you come into the finish line like I haven't seen you come into the finish line in a couple years, that you won your age group, that you were fourth overall in this entire race that at this half iron distance, that there was so much to celebrate and still the ego comes in and wants to put a big blanket over it and make it seem like it's me, 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 it's all about me and I've been inconvenienced. So that's a recent opportunity to um, just share with you guys that I'm not, I'm not immune to the voice of the ego, but I am certainly onto it. 
And I'm going to look inside myself first for the resolution before I project that nastiness onto anybody. So it continues to give me great opportunity to grow, to become a more loving uh, being, to um, really further me on my ultimate goal, which is to always welcome all things, no matter what's coming my way. So I think that endurance sports has strengthened me as a person to a degree that I never really thought it could or would even have imagined. And as somebody in a relationship, uh, a fellow athlete who is also my coach, like it has brought us so close together that I don't think anything will ever mess with that connection. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said it's been it's been quite the journey i can't believe it's 2004 was when i first did my first uh triathlon but i kyla's note about opportunities it's it's been nothing but an opportunity to up level us individually but us as a whole together and grow up with the sport because really when we moved to boulder we weren't married when we moved to boulder so it's sort of like our connection was finally sealed and the sport of triathlon blossomed into our lives and has been there ever since, or endurance sports, I should say. Because if we backtrack, you know, the first year we moved out there, that next summer I attempted a 100-mile ultra mountain bike race and failed. And I had was coming from sea level, going up to Vail, Colorado to do this 100-mile race and, and didn't finish. Um, and then went back to next year. And that's really where things, I think, became apparent to me that I've got, I've got more to, to, to do here. Like there's something about this endurance sports thing. To bring Jess into the loop, triathlon's special for me because I did it before Jess. Like it was my, it was my ability to act on something and move forward into a, into a, a sport that I had no business being in, you know, cycling and swimming is not in my wheelhouse and even running, you know, I did have some, some experience there, you know, with basketball, you run up and down the court and soccer, you run around, but really it wasn't in my wheelhouse. And it, that for, I still remember the first triathlon I did and you were on a cruise with your family and I was in a super freezing cold lake. I think it was called the Spring Chill. And I lost my breath and breaststroked a lot of it. And I slipped on my bike jersey with the number pinned on it and did the bike and then went out and tried to run. And yeah, it was, it was everything messy, but it was oh so good. So I think having that for me is pretty special because in our relationship, you've traditionally been the one that dips your toes into the lake and then your foot, and then your knee, when and then your you leg. When have you ever seen me dip? Or dive. Yeah, so. <laughs> I don't. But yeah, so. There's no slow boil. I stand corrected. Just dives in. <laughs> and I just, you know, will slowly wade in and get there my feet wet. There we go. There we go. But uh, triathlon is something I did myself, and, and it's, it's a great opportunity. It has been great opportunity for me to stand up to everything that challenges who I am or who I thought I was. And even to this day, you know, even to the experience I had last Sunday when I did a, a seven and a half hour bike ride because I put myself in that situation that there's something there to learn about myself. So I've been in the sport now 15 years and Jess is, you've just supported me like 1000%, even though there's those times where you, where maybe you want to get out and get home and get some food. And you know, it's funny though, as, as I've talked about that, I actually don't think it ever, like we ever had a conflict or an argument about it. Or I think even back then I was like, this is all my crap. I'm not going to project it on him. Oh, absolutely. And when I had to come and support you for your trail races, you know, there's, I think Clark and I slept in the back of the car. You went out and did that 40 miler and we parked in the middle of nowhere with no internet. No, nothing. And I just read a book with Clark in the back seat of our car. So you were gone for three or four hours at a time. Random people would come by every now and then, but we just hung out. And so 
that right there is the perfect opportunity. I can get upset and say, well, I'm going to drive down and get some internet access and, you know, do some work and connect with people. Or I can embrace it and see it as an opportunity to disconnect from society and spend the time reading a book, which I never, ever do, and be with Clark. Like, I, I can't, I can't tell the audience how many times I leave on these long bike rides. And the first thing I think about is like, oh my God, like Clark's home alone. He's going to be by himself. And sometimes you're here and then you go out for your run or something. And I just think about Clark being home and I want to spend time with him. So that very instance of that 40 mile race that you did was perfect opportunity for me to spend time with my boy. And why would I want to miss that? And so these experiences that we've had in endurance training and racing is, is a gift. And that's how I see it. And whatever price that is, is the price that it is. For the experience that I have, I'll pay, I'll pay it over again. Because what I walk away with is absolutely an up-level opportunity. I've up-leveled so much. And yeah, I take it to extremes. I, I started to do three Ironmans in one year, right? I think there were back-to-back years I did three Ironmans and I'm just signing up for them. And I actually went to one by myself um, without you, and without Clark. And those are the experiences that have shaped who I am and who who I, um, yeah, who I am and how I, how I share that with our athletes in our community. Like that's a high vibration and there's no way, no way I'd be able to, to be at that level and be able to speak to the community this way if I didn't have these experiences where I never thought I would make it out on the other side. So the doubt and fear are there and I move on and tackle it despite those fears and doubts. How do you think it has affected our relationship? I think we've, I think we just continue to get stronger and stronger. I think you see something in me that's challenging and you, you let me have my experience and I'll see something in you and you're working things out. But I also think we're there to support each other and and share our insights of what we discovered on our own journeys to help each other grow. And so I only see positives and even when the negatives are, I shouldn't say negatives or when the opportunities, Kyla, thank you. When the opportunities present themselves, we see them as opportunities. Like, what can I take from this? I may go down that path of like, oh, I just, you know, I just wish like something was a different way. Quickly shift gears and be like, that's exactly what is meant to happen because I set it up that way. I actually self-sabotage myself to set it up that way. I see that. So next time, what can I do differently to, to do better, to, to, to move myself towards the goal that, that we both want to achieve because your goals are my goals. We share these together. And together we're it's alone and separate, we're powerful. And together we're super powerful. We're superhuman, I really want to say. I think, I think when we do events and, and sessions with, with community, when we're together, it's, it, it, we just feed off each other and it's, amazing. It's powerful. Yeah. So I think we've only, I think we've only helped each other along in this journey and continue to show each other what opportunities we have to heal in ourselves. And then we give us our space to do that. Right. Right. I'm not here to fix you, dude. Right. And you're not here to fix me. I'm not taking notes on you. Uh, just you know, to, to present them to you. Hey, you have three check boxes. I think that you need to, uh, to check off. Um, that just is going to cause unnecessary unnecessary dialogue because you know I'm just going to turn it around and say actually these three check boxes are your check boxes they're not even mine (laughs) but I think we both experience the same challenges so it's easy to come off with those those words of of maybe maybe normal people people that don't have this relationship would get distressed and anxious and and see it as an opportunity to fight. I see it as an opportunity that we both are in the same stuff and we've been through the same muck and we can bring out the best in each other from that experience. Nice. Boom. <laughs> Boom. We won't drop What's the mic. What's next? We won't drop the mics though because we have one more question from Runner Chick, Jody. Oh, can we just say that Jody is kicking some serious ass right now? Literally, no. as of today, it's unbelievable, rocking it. And we're going to share the post. So look at our yeah. social media tomorrow or when this is dropping. So yesterday, <laughs> look at it yesterday. Yeah. 
And she's, she's awesome. She knows that when she, I mean, she just knows like, if you work with us, we're going to throw you in the gauntlet and we're going to be right by your side, but you're going to walk through that gauntlet and she's willing to do it. And oh my God, the stuff that she is getting to the other side of and the accomplishments and what is coming for her is limitless. And I can't wait to pace her at her first hundred. So the work is done. Yeah, she's going to crush it. We're pushing a lot of people. Not pushing a lot of people. We're opening the opportunity for a lot of people to, to up their distance, 50 mile or 100 miler. Well, it's a life beyond limitation. And I believe that that's what we're here to realize. I believe, and I don't mean this in a religious sense, but realizing a life beyond limitation is heaven on earth. I believe that's why we're here, to raise our consciousness, to up-level our game, man. And work on a mind. This is what we do at Yogi Triathlete. We're working on the mind to be open to everything and attached to nothing. And yes, it's a work in progress. It's not leaving everything behind, dropping it, and moving forward. It's noticing what you're attached to and thinking, maybe I should be open to... Another story. Yeah. Rewrite the story. Rewrite it. Rewrite it. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Let's talk BCAAs, she says. When do you use them and why? So I think Beej and I are pretty uh, together on this. You know, there's a lot of research around BCAAs. They are branched chain amino acids. They are the building blocks for protein. And then what does that do? You know, so these BCAAs are, have been shown to reduce muscle fatigue and soreness. They help to build muscle. They are the building blocks for protein, like I said. Um, They regulate immune function. And how I use them is I will use them in really three different cases. Number one, if there is something in my body that's starting to show breakdown, that's starting to show opportunity, uh, because these will help to repair, you know, they will give me a nudge in the right direction, then I would use them before a workout and during a workout and depends like so if it's something like that where I'm using almost as like a preventative you know just like oh I'm feeling a little sensation in that right glute and I'm going to go out for a three-hour run I'll take a couple before the run and then I'll do it as prescribed a couple every hour of that run and then recover really well with whole foods and all that good stuff The other time I'm going to use them is on like, for example, that 50K run that I did leading up to the 50 miler. And because of all the reasons I just listed, the reduced muscle fatigue and soreness and all that, but also because I'm going to use them on race day, which is the third time that I would use them or the third scenario where I would use them. And I want to practice my nutrition. I want to practice everything that's going to go in this body temple. And so the BCAAs are um, a part of that nutrition plan for race day. And then race day, I use them. Now I up, I up the game on race day. I'll take four prior to starting the race. And then I will take two every hour and I will take four when I finish. So I'm banging my body temple with these things all day long. We specifically use goo right now. Um, and you can talk about how we were introduced to these and we've been using them for a long time, but right now we're using goo and goo adds a couple other things. They, uh, add some vitamin B in there. They claim to have, uh, that it, you know, helps with mental clarity and, um, also, uh, reducing nausea, which could be really good as we continue to go longer as, as endurance athletes. So I'll put in the show notes, a link to the specific ones that we use. And on that page, there's actually a video from Magda, which gives a little bit more explanation on the BCAAs. Yeah, I think you, you covered it and I use it for my long bike rides specifically, and especially during racing. I have them on the bike. Same thing with you. I put two or three in my my uh, bento box uh, and have two or three every hour or so on the bike. And then on the run, you know, every, I guess every hour on the bike too. I mean, on the run too. Um, but I feel the most, I, I, I feel the most benefit from the, the I feel the lack of fatigue or, ex, or pushing out that fatigue further. I'm still going to feel it, but I feel like it's further out. So what does that mean? It means when I'm pushing the pedals hard on the bike, 
on an Ironman, which is a five and a half hour bike, roughly for me, somewhere around there, it's pushing the fatigue out, not, not completely, but to maybe that third or fourth hour where the legs maybe will start to feel something. Whereas early on, if I'm pushing really hard, you might feel it in, you know, 90 minutes to two hours into the bike, depending on your intensity level. So for me, it just delays that fatigue a little bit further out. So that's how I use them. And I was introduced to him from Lucho, uh, uh, Tim Wagoner, who is co-host of the Endurance Planet podcast. Um, he used to be my coach and he was on our podcast as well. And he really believed in these. And at the time they were called, uh, the brand was MAP, M-A-P. Uh, I don't know what I can't remember what that, that stood for, for, but um, Tawny too from Endurance Planet they uh, they talk about that stuff a lot. But I start he swore by them the same for this very same reason they they push fatigue out further. Yeah, and um, that, that was my first experience was using them at um, at Ironman, and you know again it's set yourself up for success. So even if you've got this mindset that what you are taking is going to help you, it is going to help you. It is going to help you. We know this, you guys. There's so much scientific research around the power of the mind. It, it's just, it's irrefutable at this point. There's mountains of evidence. Well, what's that saying? If you believe you can or you believe you can't. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I think that was Henry Ford. So it's what you believe. So yeah. if you believe these are going to help you and then you go out and race and you feel good, great, amazing, like continue to use them. Right. Yeah. That's that's the effect that it's going to have. So, Jody, just just give them a try, like start using them in your long training and, and see how you feel and actually see how you feel the next day as you go into your next running session. See if you, you've got that level of extra fatigue on your body or if it's a little bit lighter and you actually feel a little bit fresher. Yeah. And I would say definitely if you're going to use them for a race you know, leading into your 50 miler, use them during your long training runs. Cause I can tell you like when the rubber's hitting the road and you're out there on the trail and you're at mile 37 and you're popping in like your 12th BCAA cap, you are going to want to puke that thing up, but you get it down. You just get it down, drink a lot of water, let it absorb into your system. Like I, I actually feel like I'm going to throw up right now. I'm just thinking about it. Like I can recall that feeling. I'm just, but I'm like, get it in, get it in, get it in. Well, now that you're saying that Lucho was known for, cause they weren't capsules. They were actually tablets and he would chew them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I he would that. chew them. It'd be really chalky and he'd wash it down. Yeah. Ugh. But uh, yeah, give it a try. We use the goo ones. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of brands out there. Check yeah. them out. All right. I think that's all our questions. And I just want to leave on a note about commitment, you guys, because all these questions, everything we do every day, it's, it's nothing without our commitment. And until you fully commit, you create space to fall back until you fully commit, right? It's a decision. And then your actions need to back that decision. So your actions may be backing off of a workout. Your actions may be show up for that tempo run. Show up. Commit. And there's a huge correlation between our commitment, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, doing what we say we're going to do. There's a huge correlation with our co-creation with the universe on that. We, we create more trust in the universe, right? So if we say, oh, I'm going to do this, and then we just like kind of fall away and, oh, I'll, you know, I'll defer it. Oh, God, that brings me to like the whole Iron Man deferral thing that's happening now. Yes, it's what we've always wanted, right? Like back in the day of the mass starts and the and all of that, there was no deferral, there was no insurance, there was nothing like that. And so, yeah, it's nice that they offer it, but really what they're offering is the option not to do what you said you were gonna do. It's really what it is. They're giving you the space to fall back on your dreams. And so I think commitments, commitment's so big, you know? If it's an hour run, do it, do it. And, you know, that might mean that you walk part of it, but do it, be committed. That might mean that you don't do it and you have that conversation with your coach about why, but it's a life beyond excuse. It's a life 
without limits. It's a life where you continually strengthen your belief in yourself. Commitment is huge. You can do it. I believe in you. Whatever is placed on your heart is there for a reason. It's not happenstance. It's, there's no luck in this world. There's no luck. Everything is a reflection of what's going on inside of you. That world you see is a reflection of what's going on inside of you. What do you have to say about commitment? I, I want, I'm, what's coming to mind is what Jerry was talking about with you have 30 days in a month and 28 or 29 of those are going to be ordinary and one is going to be really, really good and the mind wants to wants to celebrate that one good day and then compare that day to all the other days that happened during the month saying those those were all bad. So what commitment means to me is showing up every day for those ordinary workouts. The workouts where you go to the pool, you have anticipated leave times and somehow you get through it. Maybe you hit some, maybe you didn't, but you kept doing it and you completed the workout and it was supposed to be an hour, but it took you an hour and a half. You still did it. To me, that proves that you're committed despite whatever the outcome is for that day because commitment is where the roots are planted for your success somewhere down the road. You don't need to know when or where or how, but those roots need to be planted and it starts with your commitment today. So every day, commit to doing what you love because this is what we love and detaching from any expectation that's going to create suffering. Commit to the work, do it, and then do it again tomorrow, and then do it again the next day, and the next, and keep showing up. Eventually, whatever you're pursuing in life, whatever your goals are and dreams are, they will happen. Mm-hmm.